You're listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. And uh, the first one is this. Why should we pray for people to be saved if God already knows who belongs to him? And that was something that came up a bit earlier on in the Bible as we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And I said how wonderful it is to know that God is in control of absolutely everything in the world, even the bit when I come to say, will I trust in Jesus or not as my own Lord and Saviour, then he's even involved with that as well. And we call that doctrine predestination we looked at last week. This person asked, and it's a really good question, why bother praying for someone to become a Christian if God's already got that sorted? Well, in one of the clearest bits of the whole Bible that talks about God's sovereignty, that he's in control of even people's salvation, is in the New Testament book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 9, Paul makes it very, very clear that he says, God, verse 18, chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. So it's a fairly bold statement about how God's all under control in that. But only a few sentences later, do you know what he says in chapter 10? He says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Interesting, isn't it? So chapter 9, he says, God's the one who makes it all happen. Chapter 10, he's saying, pray that people would be saved. Here and in so many places of the Bible, we see two truths that sometimes we find hard to get our heads around how they can both be true at the same time. But the writers of the Bible, in the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit with his word, actually they have no problem holding the two together. And so that's why I pray like crazy for my friends who don't yet know Jesus to become friends with Jesus, even though I know that God's totally in control of absolutely everything, even that. And related to that is this question, which is sort of, sort of next level heavy in a sense, and that is, does God predestine non-Christians to hell? Now, this is a fairly intense question, and, uh, but I was asked it, so I'm going to answer it. The, this word predestine, again, is it's talking about how God pre-beforehand destines, determines whether a person will follow Jesus or not. And the Bible talks about it as though it's a word of, in fact, our own prayer book talks about it as being a doctrine of great comfort. And I think, oh, it is very great comfort that that God is in control of, of me making my decision that I own. But the question is, does God actually do the other things? Does he predestine people to hell as well? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically use that phrase, predestined to hell. Some Christians will say, well, because God doesn't use that phrase specifically, then really it's not a way that we should talk. But we've really, I think it is a logical consequence that God's in control of absolutely everything, and so he must be in control of this as well. But it does say a few things. For example, in 1 Peter 2.8, it says that, God is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word and they meet the fate that was planned for them. That's in 1 Peter 2.8. And Romans 9, which I just talked about already, in verse 22, the same way even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. 
So I think it's a logical consequence, and we see that God's in control of absolutely everything. And it's worth also saying that all of us are born as natural rebels. Every single human is born in rebellion against God. And so for anybody to turn and say, God, I'm really sorry that I've lived my life as a rebel. I want you to be king, and I'm really sorry for doing that. Will you forgive me? For anybody to do that is an absolute miracle. It's a work of God. And the wonderful thing is that if you for a second are wondering, oh, I really wish I was predestined and I'd like to come to Jesus, but I'm not sure if I am. If you're feeling that urge to come to Jesus, then God is working in your life. So follow through with it. Don't worry about it. Get on board. The third of our four questions. Does each individual believer receive every spiritual blessing or does the church receive them collectively? Again, it's talking back to the bit from Ephesians chapter 1 we were looking at last week that says that we have every spiritual blessing. Is it the we that kind of says that all of us together as a group have got enough to sort it out? So it's kind of like, you know, oh, we're all together, you know, one person, you know, you're going on a working bee. You don't all need to have a hammer. You know, it's like, well, one person has a hammer, one person has a shovel, another person has a whatever else. Or does it say every single person's got every single one? Well, I think it's talking individually and it's saying every single person has every single blessing, every spiritual blessing. And that is how amazingly blessed we are. And finally, question four, what kind of faith is it in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, where it says, the same spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. Well, we haven't looked at 1 Corinthians 12, but if you did, you'd see that there's lots of talk about these spiritual gifts. Uh, you, you might sort of, in a funny kind of marvel way, see them as sort of God's superpowers. He's given to different people in different ways, um, kind of. But uh, we see that God's given different gifts to different people so that almost to use the working bee illustration, he said, you know, some people, you know, you know you're trying to build a house and you've got someone who's a, who's a sparky, someone who's a plumber, someone you've got different gifts so that together they can build the house. Uh, it's sort of a little bit like that. And, uh, but what's this gift of faith? That's this question here. I, I don't know. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because the Bible also tells us that God gives every single Christian faith so that you will then trust in God. So what's this special superpower faith kind of thing to speak so crudely? Maybe it's what's talked about in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, where it talks about, you know, the faith, you know, you might have a faith that can move mountains. Maybe it's that extraordinary faith when you think that somebody absolutely should deny God at that point, and yet they still hang in there, and you think, man, that is a super faith that they've been able to hang in there despite persecution, despite literally having a gun to their head. They've said, nothing will turn me away from Jesus. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's something like we see with Elijah at Mount Carmel in the Old Testament or something, a special kind of super faith power thing. Don't know. Don't worry about it too much. But I think we would recognise it if we saw it. And the point is that God is the one who gives out the gifts that the people of God need to build the church in his power. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.